Hello and welcome to Guy Perryman Interviews. Our travel companion today is Larry Carlton, legendary guitarist as a member of the Crusaders and Foreplay, plus the number one session guitarist in LA in the 70s and 80s, recording with Steely Dan, Joni Mitchell, Quincy Jones, and hundreds of other stars, then moving on to a successful solo career. The conversation took place backstage at Blue Note Tokyo in June 2023 and was first broadcast across Japan on my Inter-FM radio show. For copyright, the music has been edited. Enjoy the journey. It is wonderful to welcome on board Larry Carlton. Hello. Hey, man. Good to be here. Great to meet you. I have loved your music for so many years. I've been to shows and I've never, ever had the pleasure of meeting you. So thank you for today. Yep. My pleasure. My pleasure. (laughs) How is Japan treating you? Very consistent. And I always tell everybody, I so look forward to coming here. Every opportunity I get. I was sharing with the audience the first night here at the Blue Note. uh, I think the first time I came here was 1973 or four with the Crusaders. That's how long I've been coming to Japan. Do you know how many times you've been here? I've never counted, but um, I'm sure approaching 50. Mm -hmm. What do you love about Japan? And is is there something that maybe the world doesn't know about Japan you'd love to share with the world? Oh, I would think that the majority of the world knows that uh, how they function over here. Everything runs on time. Everybody's courteous. I really appreciate that. Yeah, and I love the fact, too, just being a musician, you know, if they say, let's do a 4.30 interview, it's going to be a 4.30 interview. I was on time. You were on time, and I appreciate that. But no, all of those things. And then lastly, I've said this many times, too, but for me, for my career, the Japanese audience has been the most loyal audience to me of all my audiences around the world. Uh, And I really appreciate that. You're in a nation of music lovers and people who go really deep into their music. Yes, yes. They um, started following those of us that were session players back in the 70s. And they they got it. They realized, you know, something special is going on on certain records and they wanted to get a piece of that. Yeah. There's a million things we could talk about, but I'll just have to jump straight in on some favorite bits for me. The Crusaders, Foreplay. What a smooth man you are in groups you've been with. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks. Yeah, the Crusaders, again, I've, I've enjoyed sharing this. Um, when I was 14 or 15 years old, I started playing guitar when I was six. I read that, right. Did. And actually, did you come from a musical family? Uh, my mom knew some chords okay. on the guitar. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I started taking lessons at six. So by the time I was 14 or 15, I actually owned a Jazz Crusaders record. And I would sit and jam to it in my bedroom. And then eight years later, at age 22, to be invited to record with them, because I met Joe Sample on another session, uh, there was a thrill. And who could have planned something like that? You know, it was just great. And then the rest was history. You know, we did 13 albums together and developed a certain sound. It was the coolest time. Playing with so many musicians over the years, do you change when you're surrounded by different people? Do you become a different Larry Carlton? Or, or are they just expecting you to be the man you are and the, the, the player you are? Sure. I, I think it's a little bit of both, um, depending on the material and the attitude of the band in general. But, yeah, I, I've been blessed that um, when they call me to play, they want to hear me play. Me. Yeah. <laughs> 
I'm a massive Steely Dan fan. So, of course, I've got to ask you about this. Favourite moments in life at Steely Dan concerts. How was it for you playing with those guys? They look like pretty scary guys in the studio. (laughs) How was it as a musician? (laughs) Well, I'll just speak from my, you know, experience with them. Shoot, they enjoyed some arranging I had done on a Joan Baez album. And so that's how they called me. I asked Walter after they called me. They needed a rhythm guitar part on one song for Katie Lyde. And I played it twice and they loved it. And that was the end of that recording. So I went outside with Walter Becker and we were just getting to know each other. And I, Walter, how'd you guys happen to call me now? Because I was one of the top session guys in LA, but I had never worked for them. He said, I don't like Joan Baez's music. And he said, I wanted to meet the guy who could make her sound that good. What a cool compliment, though. Yeah, so, and from then on, then they had me doing their charts for the Royal Scam album. Because I wonder how much, you know, they're they're so obviously precise about what they want. Mm -hmm. Do they give you the freedom? They're like, okay, look, we've got these beats, we've got the backing, go for it, give us a guitar solo. Oh, yeah, there was never any input that I can remember on. It's just, Larry, we need a solo here. And, yeah, for the Steely Dan records, I just played. But when I did the Nightfly album, with Donald, I remember one tune, it might have been Ruby Baby, that I was playing a rhythm part, just going through the chart, and we stopped and he said, no, it's got to sound older, more dated. So that was something in his head. I said, oh, and then I tried some things and that's what came on the record. But that kind of input, nothing real specific, but that was a, that was good input. And I believe Kid Charlemagne, I think, has been voted or called one of the best guitar solos ever. Yeah, I was... You can't plan something like that, you know. Do you remember the session? I do, because my cousin Steve, who was my assistant engineer at the time, he was with me. So he remembers more about it. Yeah, we had cut the tracks months before, so I was familiar with the chord changes. And I don't know if we did two or three takes of solo for the Kid Charlemagne solo. And... um Donald has told me that he remembers that I made it up to a certain point and then, okay, let's pick it up right there. And so it's in two pieces, but that was it. It wasn't scheduled or mapped out or anything like that. One of those things, man, where I played and the world agreed. That's all you can do is say thank you, you know. <laughs> and I'm still agreeing. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I mean, you have worked with so many people. I, mean, I, I couldn't go through the list, but some of my favorites on this list, I'm thinking Randy Crawford, Sammy Davis Jr. What was he like? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just in the, the big band. Right, right. So I don't remember much about it. It was in the early 70s, and right. I, just, I probably just jumped along with the big band. <laughs> also on the list at Michael Jackson sessions, of course, Quincy Jones, Joni Mitchell. No, was it Joni Mitchell that said you play like fly fishing or your playing is like fly fishing? She did use that to describe my playing <laughs> after after the Court and Spark album. Right, right. Yes. yes. Great way to describe anything in life, really. Uh, the Fifth Dimension on there too. Herb Alpert. I mean, legends, legends in music. Is there a favorite moment or is there a favorite person or, or is there a particular personal moment you're so glad happened before your solo career? Well, you know, obviously many of them, and we've mentioned a couple. I mean, to be associated with Steely Dan, it was just the perfect marriage of a sophisticated rock guy's pop music with their harmonic senses and a young guy like me who likes rock and roll but loves jazz. 
So their chord changes were not intimidating to me at all, but I still like to play aggressive. So that was a highlight to be involved in something that a lot of it seemed tailor-made for what I like to do. Is there a favorite Steely Dan track that I must play now? Yeah, I would say Third World Man. Yeah, from Gaucho. Why do you love this one in particular? Well, I can say that we recorded it and I recorded my solo and that song never was released. It was for the Royal Scam. But then when Gaucho came out, I heard the story that they actually went back and rewrote the lyrics to Third World Man, because it wasn't called Third World Man when they first did it. But they wanted, they loved my guitar solo so much that they went back and rewrote the song so they could use the track. Yeah, how cool is that? That's great. And there it is. There it is. <laughs> but yeah, I'm proud of that one. Was going solo and then recording and releasing so many solo albums and tracks, was that a very conscious decision? Was it something that had been bubbling for a long time where you were like, yeah, I just want to do this? No, I was kind of burned out on doing sessions oh. around 1977. Mm. So I started playing a local jazz club in North Hollywood, California called Dante's. And, of course, I called my buddies to just come jam on Tuesday night. But my buddies were Jeff Pagaro, <laughs> Joe Sample, Pops Popwell. <laughs> and one night, a record producer from CBS Records came in and said, have you thought about making an album? So I wasn't looking. Anyway, they gave me a few dollars to go in and do some demos. I went in and did demos, and they wanted to sign me, but they wanted me to use one of their producers and I was at that point where I said, no. I said, I want to produce myself the first time. And if we don't like it when it's finished, then we can talk. Well, they didn't go for that, but I sent the tapes to Warner Brothers and explained to them that I want to produce myself the first time. And they allowed me to do that. And then I produced myself the rest of the time <laughs> while I was on Warner's because it was successful. Yeah. And of course, you've got your famous studio, Room 335. Yeah, that lasted for a long time. You know, I moved in 1995 from the Hollywood Hills to uh, Nashville, where my children were in Nashville. They had relocated. So, yeah, I have a little studio now on my lake house. Is it still 335? I don't call it anything <laughs> except Pro Tools. Oh, it's the lake house. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And did you love then producing, being on that side of the desk? I did, for a period because it was exciting and different. But I realized, first of all, I'm a guitar player, musician. Secondly, a wannabe producer. And I realized I really didn't have the patience to want to go through every step of production. I, did, I got to where I didn't enjoy that as much as playing like I should be doing. And do you love playing live? Oh, yeah. You're kidding. And surrounding myself with great musicians all these years, you know. Uh, I couldn't be happier. It's summertime and it's hot here in Tokyo, but I see some jazz festivals on, on your list coming up uh, in the U.S. Do you love jazz festivals? They're fun sometimes. I really prefer indoor, where I can be a little more intimate with the audience. Over the last few years, I try to share a lot of stories about tunes with the audience before I play them. I talk about how I met the Crusaders and how when I played Joni Mitchell this and the Steely Dance solo, that, and they get to see, hear some of the inside stories at the concerts. But yeah, festivals are fun because the people are happy to be there. 
And I guess maybe for you, it's a bit like a reunion if you bump into other bands or musicians. Yeah, of course, of course. I'm curious, you, you play guitar and you're a jazz man. Jazz and guitar, why did those two, or how did those two come together for you? Did you always love the two? I did. Uh, once I became from age six. <laughs> That's young to fall into it. <laughs> exactly. So I, I wasn't aware of jazz until I was about 13 or 14. And I started enjoying the harmonies of certain songs and the voicings on guitar that I would hear the masters play. And then in junior high school, I came home one day and put on the jazz station in Los Angeles. And that's the first time I heard Joe Pass. It was the Gerald Wilson Big Band Moment of Truth album. And Joe was the featured soloist. And I had never heard anybody play guitar like that before. And that got me going even farther into jazz. But I call myself a jazz-influenced guitar player, not a jazz guitar player. Yeah, I've always thought about that with Steely Dan's music. What is it? Is it rock? Is it jazz? As you said earlier, just that amazing smooth combination of, yeah. of everything. Yeah, sophisticated harmonies, right, right. which um, indicate it more like a jazz recording because it is sophisticated. But the feels are R&B. <laughs> when you get Bernard Purdy and Chuck Rainey laying down the groove to your sophisticated changes, yeah, it's unique. You've released your own line, your own guitar. Yes, I was approached three years ago by Sire, S-I-R-E, guitar manufacturers. Actually, they were bass manufacturer. They've made the Marcus Miller bass for almost 10 years now. And they said they'd like to do a Larry Carlton line. And so they sent me, I think, eight prototypes to show me the quality of the instruments they would like to present with my name on it. And it was killer. The quality was unbelievable. And then they said, and the price point for these guitars is right around $700. Well, what a thrill for me at this age. I'm 75 now. I've been blessed beyond having a musical career. So now to have a guitar line that's affordable to up-and-coming players, medium players playing in clubs that have the quality that I would want, that, that was the whole deal. It's all about trying to give back to the guys. And for someone that does pick up your guitar, what's the first lesson? What would you say to someone? <laughs> Just one bit of advice. <laughs> Tune it. Oh, that was easy. Otherwise, you've got to pay you for more. <laughs> no, I hope the guys enjoy the, res the response. It's tripled. We've tripled our sales over the last three years around the world. I mean, and so people in Japan can find the guitar? Yeah, all over the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. Cool. Thank you for that. Were you, were you, you were teaching too, weren't you? Didn't you have online lessons or master classes too? Well, I did um, a series of uh, teaching videos for True Fire. Right, right, right. Yeah, they're a great, great company. So uh, Brad called me, uh, I don't know, two or three years ago because I hadn't done one in a couple of years. But I said, no, I think we've given them all that they need to know about my approach to the music. But yeah, it was a great thing with True Fire. I don't want to dwell on this and you probably don't either, but you got shot. Yeah. And that must have been the most horrific thing to go through in life. Two things. How do you deal with something mentally like that? And I always speak with people about the power of music. Did music help your recovery? Uh, to some degree, I would say yes. Uh, and yeah, it was very traumatic. That was 1988. Uh, random shooting in Los Angeles. Shot in the throat. Um, took about eight months of recovery. My left arm shut down completely because the nerves to my left arm were traumatized. 
I lost the use to this day of my left vocal cord. So I only have one vocal cord that's working. So I have a weak voice and that's okay. <laughs> Thankfully, you're not a singer. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But then, yeah, the comeback just took a lot of practice because my arm had completely atrophied. So it took months of playing to get the muscles back, but it did come back and it came back even better. So I was very, very fortunate through a traumatic deal, you know. For anyone listening right now, if they're going through something traumatic in life, what would you say to them? Well, support is, is really important. My then wife and then my family were unbelievable carrying me through that because I was, uh, you know, I was doped up for the pain for many, many months. We'd become addicted to Valium and, and Elevil and had to go through the withdrawals of that with the family. Um, yeah, just support, 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 support. Was there fear you were not going to be able to play again? The doctors, after removing the bullet, told my family, they said, he'll play again, but we don't know to what level. It remains to be seen. So. I guess you're thankful for music then today. Absolutely. I'm a blessed man. <laughs> the radio station I'm with, our catchphrase is find your colors. Find your colors. And we, you can think about that in any way you want. But what color is your music, do you think? Hmm. Uh, maybe a soft blue. Ah. That's what comes to mind ah. right first time. Jazz is blue, I guess. <laughs> and here we are in blue note. Yeah, yeah, soft blue. Okay. And final question. If you're going on a journey, you could sit with anyone in the whole world from history or alive today. Who would you love to sit down and have a conversation with? Probably John Coltrane. Yeah. His uh, music touched me starting in my early teens. Emotionally touched me. I remember the, buying his album called Ballads. And all Coltrane does on that record is play the melody. Doesn't ad lib, doesn't take extended solos, but the way he could just play those melodies uh, emotionally got me. And I know that influenced my approach to playing the guitar, how to, how to try to make it so soulful and so meaningful without it having to be fancy. So I, I would, Coltrane would be a thrill if I could spend five minutes and just say, man, I'm glad I met you. Oh, more than that, you could have a jam together. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. Actually, I'd like to ask too, you were just talking about how just communicating through music when you're playing, especially for a live audience, I think, what do you want to communicate with them? What do you want them to feel with the music? Well, how do you feel when you play? Yeah, I'm always, like most musicians, I'm always trying to go deep um, emotionally You'll see me for shit, the last 40 years, probably my eyes are closed most of the time when I'm playing. I'm wanting that experience that I've had so many times of becoming one with my instrument and the band. Even if it's a simple tune, it's not a big deal. I want my involvement to be so close to my guitar and the music. Then I think the audience has something to react to, not just theatrics or fast licks. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, thank you for the music for the years. I'm going to, I'm out of here to, to listen to music. I'm thrilled. But for now, Larry Carlton, just thank you again. Thanks, guy. See ya. <laughs> cool. And thank you for joining us today. For more interviews and information, please go to guyperryman.com.